Whoa, that is awesome. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Thursday, June 27th. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Michael Klett. How's it going, Michael? Pretty good, Ben. How are you? Good. So you are the uh, co-founder and tech lead of Chargeify. That's right. How's that going? Uh, it's going great. Uh, Chargeify has been around. Well, I wrote the first line of code in like June of 2009. So we're about right at four years old now. So uh, we're growing slow and steady. Um, bootstrapped more or less. Uh, announced last year that we were profitable. You know, we've taken a little bit of uh, angel funding from Mark Cuban, which has been fun, a good good contact to have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but we're growing. Uh, got a great team. They feel like we're doing really good stuff. Yeah, I saw that you you put on your website that you hit profitability in 2012. That's exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm proud of that. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, how did you guys get your first few customers? Uh, yeah, so like I said, you know, I wrote the first line of code in June. We, uh, we launched at TechCrunch 40 in San Francisco in September. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we weren't in the finalists. We didn't pitch on stage there, but we did participate in their demo pit. So through the demo pit, got to meet a lot of other startups, you know, people building new apps, um, spread the word that way. Uh, then we started to attend conferences, sponsor conferences, because um, our target audience at the beginning was really developers, like building web apps. Um, so through that, we we got some notoriety. We felt like we built a pretty good API. Um, developers building web apps started to integrate with us. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our early co- customers was uh, manpacks.com, selling subscriptions to underwear. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, that was a cool thing. They they ended up in Maxim Magazine. You know, We talked about them. They talked about us. Um, so yeah, I mean, early on it was word of mouth, uh, through developers and, you know, lots of advertising. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So do you like today deal with a lot of customer acquisition stuff or are you focused more just on the technical side of things? I'm focused more on the technical side of things now. Um, you know, I, I keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on on, on customer acquisition. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that there's sort of a shift that we've seen. Like I said, early on, we were targeting developers and, a lot of our early customers were developers. Uh, now we're sort of getting into the long tail of like non-technical people who have a great business idea who, you know, they weren't going to be able to write their own billing engine anyway. Um, so they're piecing together all the parts of, of cool things, you know, of, of, of core competencies that are out on there on the internet, like, you know, billing, uh, you know, they get their hosting taken care of, you know, their shipping, drop shipping, all that stuff's taken care of for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're able to cobble together these things with, with very little technical expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so you find these little niche markets and in one segment we're seeing grow a lot, like I mentioned, man packs, but it's the, the physical goods shipment. Um, the people who, you know, they're curating, uh, like, you know, a monthly selection of healthy snacks and they'll send them right to your door. Hmm. So we're seeing a lot of that these days. You touched on physical goods. You used to be a physical goods guy yourself. You used to work in hardware. That's right. What was that? Uh, what was that like? What's the transition like going from hardware to software? Um, it's it's surprising how similar it really is. So I was a, a processor uh, designer. I worked for IBM. I worked on a very small part of the processor that's in the Xbox 360, and you know we we call that logic design. And you know what we're actually doing is writing software to describe the hardware. Mm-hmm. So you know I was writing code that's it's very similar to like a functional programming language, right? VHDL and Verilog is what we use. Um, to describe the hardware that gets synthesized, translated into you know the physical transistors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, so, so you know, no one actually lays out a processor by hand anymore. You write code that lays out the processor. 
Uh, that's right. right. I mean, that, that's where you start, like, you know, for the really critical sections, like somebody gets in, like, and pushes transistors around at the physical level. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, there's lots of it that are just like building blocks and you can you can describe it in software and then it gets auto laid out. <laughs> so, you know, we do a lot with like state machines and, and stuff that, you know, have corollaries in, in the software world. Uh, but the uh, yeah, that, that project was was at the same time, like really interesting. The Xbox project was at the same time very interesting and also like what pushed me sort of out of, of hardware. Because when you talk about processor design, I mean, it's like a two or three year like cycle period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's going to be a year and a half or two years before, like from when you first start the design until you get actual physical silicon back. And then it's like, you know, is this thing even going to work? Because, mm-hmm. you know, up to that point, everything is simulated. You know, it's like it takes forever before you actually see the final product. Yeah. So at the end of it, it's like this great feeling of accomplishment. You know, it's a huge team. We were like 500 people over, you know, 10 sites all around the world. So it's this huge feeling of accomplishment, but at the same time, it's you know it's a very delayed gratification. Yeah, and I've been doing I've been doing web stuff since like the mid '90s, and uh, you know while I was at IBM, became aware of Rails and started doing some consulting on the side to do you know web based projects. And and what I love is like the instant feedback that you get. You know I can I can put together something that that does something real, something tangible, something that that somebody else can see. You know in a matter of like minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's that that quick turnaround that that really sort of brought me over from hardware to software. Hmm. You you actually uh, founded a company in the interim between your IBM days and your Chargerify days, right? I did. I mean, it was it was really just a consultancy more than anything. Okay. Um, and w- what I found is, um, uh, you know, I have I have so much respect for all those guys that are doing freelance and consulting stuff because if you're a single person doing that, you spend so much time you know, looking for work and lining up the work that it takes away from your ability to actually do the work. Sure. And, and that's what I ran into. And, and that's when I started looking around and was able to team up with the guys at, uh, at Grasshopper and spun off Chargeify. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what kind of technical problems are you wrangling with these days? You guys have, I mean, you're, you're not a new company anymore, I would say. So what are the right. mature problems you're getting? <laughs> um, well, one is that the code base is four years old now. And like any code base, uh, as hard as you try it, it goes through decay over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with that decay, repairing that. Um, we have a gigantic test suite um, that's, you know, much slower than, than we would like that anybody would suggest that you have. Mm. Um, and it's still, we're, we're, we're basically like a monorail still. Like, you know, it's the original single monolithic app. Like we've started to break services off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we're going to continue to do, but it's, we're definitely at the point where, yeah, I mean, if, if we could compartmentalize stuff, if we could turn stuff into services, the more we can do that, the, the easier it is for us to move forward in you know, whatever direction we want to. Mm-hmm. So, you, so Chargerify is backed by a, a big rails app? Um, for the most part, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have started to, um, with, with new developments, uh, build separate apps that consume the API. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are starting up a, a cool project right now that we call the, the hosted portal. It's really, so we, we have, we have sort of two sets of customers, right? We have what we call our merchants. They're the people that integrate with us. And then there are the merchants customers, you know, the, the end customer right? that the merchants are selling to. Um, and so I mentioned how, you know, we've got this growing segment of non-technical uh, merchants. Um, and so more and more, they want to just, you know, plug and play like they want something that allows their customers to manage every aspect of their subscription with them 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've always, since the beginning, like offered like ways to get signups, like with, with hosted pages. Um, but we are building a portal that allows the end customers to manage, you know, every aspect of that, of mm-hmm. that subscription. So, you know, we're working on that now. It, it 100% consumes our API, um, which is a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, it's a good way to, to really like, it's a great way to build an API is to, to dog food it from the beginning. So we're starting on a, a second version of our API too. So we can, you know, we're, we're, we're building it out of the experience from the things that we need as we build this portal. Hmm. What kind of, um, you said your, your code base is four years old, has some, some issues. What kind of problems are you seeing inside it? Um, I saw on one of your recent podcasts that you guys were talking with Aaron Patterson uh, about callbacks and you uh-huh. know, should they be ripped out? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd be okay with that. Because <laughs> um, I mean, it, you know, they're, they're a cool tool. They're just way too easy to abuse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see that in our code base to an extent. And so when you end up in this maze of callbacks, you, you, no longer, uh, you no longer know exactly when you're going to the database. And when you don't know exactly when and where you're going to the database... Uh, you're going to introduce performance problems mm. um, and hard to debug issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so one thing that we've really started to do is um, uh, Brian Helmkamp's uh, sort of seminal blog post on the you know seven ways, seven patterns to to refactor your fat models mm-hmm. has really been something that we've kept uh, close at hand because you know before that came out, that was. The, the, the idea of the service object is something that we've really started to embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, in Chargeify, it's like, you know, you can, like via the API, create like a sign-up. And creating a sign-up, you know, basically attaches a customer and end user to a particular product, like via a subscription, you know. And so, like, all of these, like, persistence models are, are created. Yeah. Um, and to start with, that all went through, like, a single, you know, active record model because, you know, that's how we did it to start with. Sure. Know? Um, and, uh, yeah, so like the idea of the service object to us is, is so powerful because, you know, okay, now the service is a sign up. Oh, and it also happens to create a customer record and happens to create a subscription, mm-hmm. you know, it happens to reference this product. Um, but you're able to control, like, you know, you no longer need callbacks because you're able to control the flow and you don't have to worry about like, you know, magic active record stuff happening. Like when you didn't mean it to. Totally. Yeah. I've been, I've been reaching for that approach more and more and, and been pretty happy with it. Yeah. It, it tends to be a little more explicit than the, oh, that's right, this callback gets called, and then that one, and then that one. <laughs> yeah. I actually was working on a, a project not too long ago where there was actually mutation and saving being, no, not saving, but mutation being done in a validation, which, hmm. don't ever do that. <laughs> it led to so much pain. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, when, when surprises pop up like that. And it, it makes it harder to, like, onboard, you know, new people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also makes it uh, scary to implement new features. Uh, mm-hmm. We were joking the other day on on Chargeify that that there are no more easy features because you know even the even the small things, um, you know, either break an expectation that a customer may have. So we have to be very careful because we have you know lots of merchants that that rely on us. They've coded to us. You right. know, we have to make sure not to change that behavior. Um, so, you know, like every, every little change like has the impact of, of affecting someone in some, some adverse way. So you just, we have to be careful with everything. And yep. um, that's, that's something that any, you know, if you, if you are successful and you have customers that you're going to deal with, that you don't deal with early on, it's funny to think back about how like cavalier you are in the, in the early days, <laughs> you know, but uh, how, how serious you have to get when you have people who rely on you. Yeah. Were, were you intimidated early on starting a business that's such an essential service to other companies? 
Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say intimidated. Um, I was, I was always concerned. My concern has always been that we could reach the sort of like the 80% case for most businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of different billing models out there. You know I mean? Like it's, it's really easy to think of sort of a, the 37 signals model. You know, it's like, yo, your basic plan's $24, your pro plan's $99. That's it. Um, that's easy to handle, but you know, so many different businesses out there have so many different ideas of, of, of what it means to build their customers on a recurring basis. They're like, Oh, I want to prorate them up to the first when they start. And, you know, if they sign up on this day, they have this setup fee and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I've, I've always known that there's so many different billing models out there. Will we be able to hit like the, the useful, the 80% case. And, uh, you know, sometimes it means we have to steer people into, you know, we have to tell them, Hey, I think your billing model is too complex. Like we Mm -hmm. actually don't, we don't support that. And maybe you, maybe you shouldn't pursue that business model or that billing model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's empowering to be able to say that it's like, it's nice when you can say, actually, you're not a good customer for us and we don't have to try to warp our world to match yours. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, it's something that's hard to say early on. And we talked about uh, consulting too. It's something that, that all good consultants have to do every time. It's like, you have to realize when there's when there's not a fit, and it happens in happens in our world too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how big is the team that you're managing? Um, so, developer wise, we're at, at well, full time developers. We're at three right now. Mm-hmm. Um, including myself. Uh, we're actually hiring. So, um, any good developers out there would, would like to join our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got two uh, level two support guys who also uh, write code. Um, they do a lot of development, sort of in support of support. You know, like. Um, bug fixes or little tools that make their lives easier or may make merchants' lives easier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have an operations guy um, and uh, including Lance or CEO, two or three like sales and marketing guys. Mm. Um, so I don't really, you know, handle that side too much, but the technical side, so we're about seven. Yeah. Eight. H- had you done management before you started this company? I have not. No. So uh, how, how has that been? It's been a learning process. You know, I mean, we're, uh, we take our time when we're hiring people and make sure that we're hiring people who are good at self-management mm-hmm. um, because we don't have, you know, a hierarchy and uh, I'm, I'm writing code and, you know, doing architecture stuff. And so uh, the less time I, I have to think about management, the better. Mm. Um, so... I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a learning experience. I mean, one thing that, that I've learned they have to do is you have to give, you have to give feedback, um, positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, when you see it, when you see somebody do something like you say it, like you see somebody do something good, say it then see somebody do something bad, like go ahead and say it then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like I, and I'm still learning. Yeah. I, I'm still learning. Like I, I definitely don't consider myself a great manager. Um, but I definitely try to give people enough, uh, enough support and leeway so they can do their best job. Mm. Do you read any uh, Rand's blog by any chance? I haven't enough. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the keynote at RailsConf was, was good and he's right. He's right on. I mean, there, there are, there are different types of people and you have to learn how to, to, to enable, well, to work with all of them and enable them to all do their best work. Yeah. I, I didn't, uh, I'm just looking at your site right now. I didn't realize you guys are in Needham, Massachusetts. Yeah. So, well, Grasshopper, um, to give you a little bit of 
little more background. So we spun out of, of Grasshopper. Um, they have a virtual phone system, sort of like Google Voice for business, mm-hmm. right? Their main focus is on entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they've, they've always been based there. When they started the labs division, which is what uh, Chargeify sort of spun out of, um, they were dedicated to doing it all remote and having a remote team. So our headquarters is basically Needham with with Grasshopper, but our team is actually entirely virtual, okay. entirely remote. Where are you right now? I am in Cary, North Carolina, near oh. Raleigh. Okay. Yeah. I lived in Raleigh briefly growing up. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's a good town. I, I came here and uh, to go to NC State and uh, just never left. It's a great area. Mm-hmm. You studied uh, computer science back then, right? Computer engineering, uh, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, and to, to be honest, like, Part of that decision was uh, computer science guys like scared me at the time, like when I was in college. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I'd go into the computer lab and there's, uh, there's this guy sitting there. It looks like he's been sitting there for three days. You know, he's very, very like uh, sunken eyes. Looks like he's never seen the sun. And I was like, oh, that's a computer science guy. Like, that's, that's strange. And, you know, I knew he just, he was in touch with his computer. He knew how to talk to it. But, you know, to me, that was like a, it was a little bit of a different world. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, the hardware stuff is, is rooted in the physical world. Um, Computer engineers went to parties. Yeah. You could say that. <laughs> I guess so. Um, so, so yeah, like uh, that was sort of the route I took and it's, you know, it's funny. I ended up in, in software anyway, but you know, like I said, like the things, <laughs> It's that same thing I think that scared me at first that, you know, anything is possible with software. You're not constrained by the laws of physics anymore. Yeah. So that same thing that scared me early on is, is now like what, what has drawn me into the field. So are, are you familiar with SICP? I'm not. No. Okay. It's a structure and interpretation of computer programs. It's like a famous book by a couple of MIT professors and they have, okay. they did this amazing set of lectures um, related to the book and the intro to the very first lecture is one of my favorite descriptions of why programming is so interesting. And he mm-hmm. says, if you're an engineer and you have an amplifier, you can link it up with another amplifier and you can put them sort of in series. Um, but if you put together a thousand amplifiers, there's so much noise in the system that you can't use it anymore. It doesn't make sense. Right. But in the world of computers, you can keep, we have sort of these perfect components that have no noise in them. And so you can string together trillions of them and continue to work with them. And so your only limitation is your ability to load that all into your head. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, whoa, that is awesome. <laughs> that just really struck me as like, okay, yeah, I'm into this. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's totally true. So what have been uh, your biggest screw-ups so far? Any notable uh, mistakes? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So when, when we launched, um, we were committed to the idea of the freemium model. Right. So uh, we had um, on all of our plans, they included 50 free customers. So you don't pay us a dime until you have at least 50 customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that turned out to be a little too generous because I forget the exact figures. Um, David Hauser, one of our co-founders, had wrote up a blog about, you know, the numbers behind the reason for making the price change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was in the high 90 percent of, of merchants never reached 50 customers, but they had successful thriving businesses um, they just, they didn't have to pay us necessarily. Huh. And, you know, that was at a time when we were growing, scaling, um, hiring people, adding computing resources, uh, you know, all these things that require, require money. Mm-hmm. So we made the decision to announce a pricing change and, uh, not 
grandfather existing customers Mm. um, with some exceptions. Um, But, you know, we caught a lot of flack for that. And a lot of people felt that it was unfair, like we'd made a promise to them. And, you know, in the end, we said, well, our promise is that, you know, we want to stick around. We want to make sure, you know, we are handling your subscriptions now. We are handling your customers. We want to continue to do that. So, you know, if we're, if we're providing value, then, you know, we're going to have to charge for that value. Um, and in the end, uh, I think it was understood, but we did a poor job of communicating the actual price change mm-hmm. and our reasons for it, which led to, you know, backlash. Mm-hmm. So now before we make any change, we engage our merchants. Uh, we let them know what we're thinking about doing. We actually went through a second price increase uh, much later than mm-hmm. the first one. Mm-hmm. And I think it was six months before we actually did it. We engaged all of the merchants, told them, hey, this is what the picture is. These are the, the three options that we're thinking of doing. Like, which one of those would, would appeal most to you? Mm. And by involving them in the decision, like, and, you know, just laying out the facts, it was a completely different reaction yeah. than, than the first time. That makes sense. It's, it's interesting to me how many problems are actually communication problems. Yeah. Like the, the root of it wasn't so much that you were changing your pricing as that you, you didn't communicate it very well. Exactly. Exactly. It's funny how often that happens. Mm-hmm. So you, you guys bumped pricing uh, twice, at least since you started. Why do you, why do you think you started so low? Or did you start lower? And I, didn't, I mean, what does, yeah. what does that say? Well, <laughs> um, you know, the main problem was the idea of freemium. Um, and in a, we're sort of in a business to business environment, right? And freemium rarely makes sense in the, in the business-to-business environment because, you know, the idea behind freemium is that you're going to get so many signups that once, you know, some small percentage of those convert, like, it'll be able to float the boat. Right. Um, and, you know, the market just isn't as big when you're looking at business-to-business versus business-to-consumer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the problem was was mainly like that, that freemium and also just a misunderstanding of... Um, the eventual scale and, and durability we would need to run at. You know, I mean, it's, it's expensive. We run in uh, multiple data centers now, um, and, you know, it's expensive to, to manage that and to, to keep that going. You know, when we launched, we were, uh, we were running on, you know, single engineered cloud instance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the, the realization of what are the true costs of the business, I think. Sure. So you guys have a lot of customers that you bill monthly. Uh, who do you use for your recurring billing? Oh, ourselves. Yeah, Chargeify uses Chargeify to bill for Chargeify. You're kidding? <laughs> Not at all. I'm glad to hear that. It is. It is a little bit mind bending though when you're when you're trying to to work all that out in your head. I'm sure. <laughs> a little too much uh, building inception. Yeah, exactly. So I saw a tweet from you uh, back in May, um, encouraging Tender Love in his crusade against negativity in the the Rails community. Yeah. Is that a, a big problem, you think? Um, I, I think we have a lot of, of strong personalities in our community. And I think a lot of that ends up manifesting itself in a, a slightly negative way. Mm. Um, I mean, I think it's great to be opinionated. Um, but I think, you know, and, and I think by its nature, Rails attracts opinionated people. Mm. Um, but, you know, that when that when you're strongly opinionated, uh, you tend to, to discount other people's opinions or it can happen. And I, I think I see that happening. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, our community could definitely benefit from, you know, more, more positivity. Um, and I think that, that tweet was in, in, uh, in response to Tender Love's uh, keynote at RailsConf. Yep. It, was, it was an inspiring one for me. So what else should we cover? Anything, any big areas I haven't asked you about? Um, well, you know, I, I'd mentioned the, uh, I'd mentioned the billing portal and the idea of like, you know, building that as a separate service. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that we're going to continue. Like we're going to continue to, I think, extract, um, the, our service into, into multiple services. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I was just talking, uh, yesterday I was interviewing Alex McCaw from Stripe who was saying mm-hmm. the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody's like, Oh God, we made this giant, uh, app monolithic thing and now we need to break it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, and honestly, I, I'm not sure if I would suggest that you, like if you were just starting out fresh, that you would try to start from like, you know, service oriented architecture. Totally agree. Yeah. Because I mean, like you don't even, you don't even know what the parts are until you've, until you've built the thing and you don't know if it's going to be successful in the first place. And so mm-hmm. it's definitely faster to, you know, start out with a single service. For and sure. then once you see where like all of the different separation points are, um, you know, it, it makes it very obvious. Like if we were to rebuild Chargeify from scratch today, it would be 100% obvious, like how we're going to, how we're going to architect it. Right. But you can't have that knowledge up front. Right. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't say it's a it's a mistake to start that way. I think you, I think it's the better way to start. But then eventually, at some point, you're like, oh, okay, now we need to sort of start breaking this apart. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the the paradox is, is like by the time you realize that now you've got, you know, you're supporting you're supporting your customers, sure. and so you have to do all of this, you know, as if nothing has changed. So right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you you build up a, a great test suite over time, and then you start to extract the parts, and and that's sort of like what we're in the middle of now. Yeah, why do you think your test suite's so slow? Uh, well, I know um, it's it's far too database bound. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we had talked earlier about like uh, the callback maze that you can get yourself into, and mm-hmm. I, I mentioned how you know that that causes you to to do writes when you didn't mean to do writes to the database, when you could have computed all of your values and done one single write into the database. Instead, right. you're doing it in a hundred little steps. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it for us is that we're, we're far too database bound in our tests. Uh, and a lot of those critical paths that, that end up getting involved in like every single integration test we run. Like, I mean, you know, the idea of a subscription is so central to Chargeify. You always have to have like subscriptions in order to do anything. Right. And uh, the process of creating subscriptions is is too slow. Um, so yeah, I mean we're we're working on uh, refactorings with the explicit purpose of speeding things up. You know, if our test suite is faster, then the app's going to be faster in our mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been toying with this hypothesis of like good tests or fast tests lead to good code. Mm-hmm. And that it might be a, a bi-directional relationship. It's like if 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 the tests have to be slow, it might be because there are issues in the code. And if the tests yeah. are fast, it might be because the code is well factored. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, if your if your tests are slow, um, it's because you've got too much coupling between between your different parts, and they're not well isolated, and they're they're difficult to um, to test in isolation. And so you involve all these other parts, and right leads to slow so i would i would buy into that mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like yet another argument for tests as like um a design pressure on your code it's like yet another mm-hmm. piece of feedback that tests can give you definitely their speed can can count too mm-hmm. 
Well, Michael, I think that's about all I had for you. But uh, thanks for virtually dropping by and uh, being on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot for having me. I really enjoyed it. Sure. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Uh, you can hit me on Twitter, M-O-Clet. Be just fine. Okay. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 57. Today's podcast was recorded by Anna Mariola, edited by Igor Starlarsky, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.